0: Uh, chapter 11 is primarily given so that uh, so that <clears throat> so that that he can demonstrate to these Hebrew Christians that faith has always been the means it's always been the way it has never been by works it's faith in it's faith in Christ alone that's that's the that's the ultimate uh, message that this uh, this these examples are trying to bring across bring about. As we come into this this particular section, we have gone through uh, we have gone through already he has talked about the antediluvians uh, who how they operated in faith. Salvation was by faith before the flood. You know, we've talked about the patriarchs. Uh, salvation in the time of the patriarchs was by faith. We've talked about Moses. And even then, salvation wasn't by the law, it was by faith. That, that has been demonstrated all through here. <clears throat> and then we concluded with the crossing of the Red Sea in verse 29, where, where it was by faith that generation crossed the Red Sea. That was, that, was the, that was the ultimate point there. However, unfortunately for that generation, I won't say that was the last time they exercised any faith, but it was close to it, if not. Uh, because now we're going to jump ahead 40 years. There's, we're, we're, we have a silence in this part of the text for 40 years, because during that 40 years, that exodus generation is going to die in the wilderness because of their disobedience and their, and their treason, if you will, to, to their God. And as a result of that, none of them will go into the land, but their children will, and that's where we come this morning as we come into, as we come into uh, uh, verse 30. Uh, as we come into verse 30, We're going to see the falling of the walls of Jericho. Now, he's very selective, and incidentally, he's not chronological. He takes everything is jumbled. I mean, obviously, Rahab and the spies happened before the walls fell. Uh, And and as we go through things, Samuel came before David. Gideon came uh, after Barak. Uh, So, I mean, those kind of things. He doesn't go in chronological order. Uh, And he doesn't always give the events. He just gives names. And so we'll kind of, we'll kind of uh, highlight some of these. And that's really what this is, a highlight of those people who operated in faith. The author, the author uses, uses the examples to demonstrate that it has always been by faith from Abel to today. That's, that's ultimately what, uh, what he's wanting these, uh, these Hebrew Christians to understand. So before we get into the text this morning, do we, do we have any prayer requests? Nope, maybe. I wish you, I wish you would keep Kathy in prayer tomorrow. We have an orthopedic uh, appointment, and I'm hoping that uh, he's able to do something to uh, relieve some of the pain in her shoulders from the rotator cuff issues. So, and we can get some kind of a treatment going there. So, I wish you'd keep that in that in in mind. Anything else this morning, Bob? Can I ask you to open this? Wow, that Come before you, Lord, now and say uh, in humility, Lord, look you at your word, just praying. Just teach us from Lord, and, uh, it, Lord. Teach us the good and the bad. just help us to grow in our faith. And uh, pray that you, you teaches your word faithfully. Just let uh, him uh, the wisdom that he needs. And we just pray for her health situation, Lord, I pray that uh, we have controlling that entire situation. Just <coughs> to help uh, the family this time. Use it for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> so the first uh, first thing we want to look at then is verse 30, where it says, By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. And that's all he says about it. Uh, this is a major event. There's a whole bunch of things that go on before this, a whole bunch of faith things that happened the the uh, jordan is parted just like the red sea was was parted held back they march across on dry land all kinds of things go on here but what has happened now is moses has passed he is dead he is gone and joshua has been appointed has been appointed the the uh uh the leader to take the people into the land and in joshua 1 2 which it's kind of one of my favorite verses because it just points out the fact that God is in total control and he just allows men to be part of his ministry. And, and I, I, I just really appreciate that. But verse 2 says, Moses, my, uh, my servant is dead, and speaking to Joshua. Uh, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise and go over the Jordan, you and these people, into the land that I am giving to them, uh, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I have promised to Moses, from the wilderness of Lebanon, as far as the great river and the river Euphrates, and the land of the Hittites and the great sea toward uh, toward uh, the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. And this is a repeated uh, statement throughout Joshua. Be strong and courageous, And you, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give to them. So here we have the marching orders to take the land. And the first great obstacle that they're going to come into is as they come into Canaan. The first play they're coming in. They're coming in across the Jordan. So this is the eastern flank of of uh, of, of of Canaan. Uh, stands this fortress city called Jericho. Uh, Jericho wasn't big in size but it had massive walls around the outer side of it had city walls on the inside but it had a massive wall around the outside a protective protective barrier if you will (coughs) and and Joshua was given the order to go take this city Um, (coughs) now in this text the faith isn't attributed to Joshua Joshua isn't even mentioned the faith is attributed to the nation for following the orders That's that's really how this comes down the, the faithless nation that died in the wilderness is now the faith nation that will take the land. That's really really kind of the idea here. Now Jericho, as I said, is this eastern flank of Canaan. It's this heavily fortified uh, walled city. According to the text, we can find that they had many warriors with, inside the city. It was a stronghold. It protected that eastern side of, the, of, of things. It was considered in its day impregnable. You know, i I'm always amused. Whenever a man calls something impregnable or unsinkable, somehow it manages to be destroyed and sunk. You know, there's just this. Any, but anyway, that's a side note. Uh, but anyway, here's. So Israel, on the other hand, was an army. They really weren't trained as an army, although they had battle experience at this, po- this point under Moses. Uh, they weren't heavily armed. They didn't have artillery. They didn't have armor. They didn't have surge Uh, Or, excuse me, siege equipment. They didn't have battering rams. They just had a lot of men. So quite frankly, from a military standpoint, attacking Jericho was stupid. You know, it was a bad plan. It was a bad plan. Because basically what you were going to do was like a bunch of ants running up against a hill. A highly fortified, massive structure... Uh, that had a very incidentally in military terms that place between the city walls and the outer wall if you breached it that was a kill zone that's where they shot you from the walls mm-hmm. uh, so, so this was this was a, a, a almost suicide mission from a human standpoint however God had a battle plan okay. now if you were a military general and you were given this battle plan you would probably faint but at any rate it says this, here's the battle plan. They're to march around the city once a day for six days. And then on the seventh day, they're to march around the city seven times. They've got the Ark of the Covenant going with them. They got priests out in front with trumpets. and they have the the, the men of the the, the warriors of, of Israel behind them. And And as they march around, on the seventh time around, the priests start to blow their trumpets, or ram's horns is really what they are. They're to blow the ram's horns. I like the idea that the musicians got put in front instead of the infantry. But anyway, uh, uh, but but well, I was an infantryman, you know. It's, it's just, anyway, uh, they they liked that idea, you know. They, they 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 were to go, and the people were to shout, and the walls fell down. That's ultimately what happened. That was the battle plan. That is a battle plan that makes no sense to the human mind. But it's a battle plan that was exercised in faith. And the result was, in, in, uh, in uh, Joshua six sixteen. For the Lord had given you the city, by faith the walls of Jericho fell. That's ultimately what happened here. So here's an example of how did we take the land? We took the land by faith. The first battle was totally by faith. It made no sense, humanly speaking. It made no sense. But by faith, it happened. God took, gave to them the land. The second example he gives to them, now, is not an Israeli. It's a Gentile. <coughs> In, in verse 31 by faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given friendly welcome to the spies now we back up from Joshua 6 to Joshua 2 uh, because it's in Joshua 2 that this uh, that this uh this part of the text starts to take place actually Joshua 2 1 through 20 and then there's a follow-up in Joshua 6 22 through 25 first of all there's some things against this woman uh, first of all she's canaanite She's a member of a race that uh, God has destined for extinction. Secondly, she is a prostitute. Now, there are some commentators that have tried to make, tried to soften that word. They've tried to uh, take it away. They've tried to make it say that, well, she was an innkeeper. The problem is, inns in those days were houses of ill repute. So, at best, she's a madam. But nevertheless, nevertheless, the problem is that's what she. This is how she made her living. So, so she's she's an outcast, of outcasts. and then thirdly, she was a woman, which didn't give her any ranking or or status in that in that day, in that day. So all of these things uh, uh, were barriers uh, <coughs> uh, as, far as, uh, as far as as far as as she was concerned. No, no, she's Canaanite. She is a Canaanite. But her confession of faith, Joshua two Joshua two, and Joshua two eleven demonstrates demonstrates who she who she how she saw things. She's she's talking she's talking to uh, talking to to the spies who have come who she's hidden. Basically, what has happened is Joshua sent out spies. I guess I should back the story up. Joshua sent out spies. They have gone into the land. Uh, they uh, they have come across Rahab who has hidden them. She recognizes she knows who they are. She knows they're they're Hebrews, uh, and she has hidden them. And now she's going to make this confession. This is why. This is why she is acting in the way she is acting. Because basically this made her also, now she's also now a traitor, you understand, to her people uh, by, by doing this. Uh, now, she's, now she's an outlaw to her own people. So, so basically she hides them. And here's her confession. Uh, in 2.11 she says, and as soon as we heard of it talking about what happened, uh, what happened at the Red Sea, uh, that if you go back up in the text, he says, as soon as we heard what happened, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is the God in the heavens, above the earth, and beneath the earth. That's what she says here. The, he, your God is the God. That's what she's saying. I recognize that your God is God. Ultimately. That's her, that's her profession. For your Lord for the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and in the earth beneath. That's her, that's her profession of faith. And in 9-11, uh, through 11, she tells them, and I know the Lord has given you the land. She recognizes the fact that the very ground she's standing on belongs to these Hebrews. It's no longer, it's no longer theirs. God has given it to them. And, and basically... As a result of her faith, as a, as a result of her actions, as a, as a result of her uh, profession, she and her family are saved from the destruction because Jericho is completely wiped out. They kill everyone. Uh, no one has survives except for Rahab and her family. Now the interesting thing is, the interesting thing is Rahab, is cited in the New Testament twice. She's cited in James two twenty five, where James cites her as an example when he's talking about the the when he's talking about faith and works. He's talking about faith that, that works. He cites Rahab. He says, "Here is someone who exercised faith, and her faith." Now, he didn't say it. This is in my ad lib. But anyway, uh, this is a woman who exercised faith. And her, and her faith was demonstrated in her actions. She protected the spies. That's, that's, what, that's, what, uh, that's what he says of her. He says that Rahab's effort on behalf of the spies was evidence of her faith. In the New Testament. And then in Matthew 1, 5, the ultimate blessing that is given to her is in the, she's found in the genealogies of Jesus Christ because she is the mother of Boaz, who married Ruth, who's the great grandmother of David. And she's listed there. So well, those are her two listings in the New Testament as well. Rahab was a woman who exercised faith, even though not a Hebrew, she exercised faith, which which only went to further demonstrate the reality of the Abrahamic covenant that it would be to everyone. That eventually it would bless everyone. It blessed her. And ultimately, yes. Verse 32. Verse 32, he says, "And what more shall I say? For time will fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, uh, uh, Samson, Jephthah, of David, of Samuel, and the prophets who, through faith, conquered kings, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of, f- of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight." So now he gives. He says, "What more can I say?" In other words, he says, "I don't have time to go through this whole list. It would take. I'd have to recite everybody in the Old Testament, probably." But he says, "Here, here is just a a sampling, a list, a sampling of of those individuals who who also exercise faith." It's not chronological. In fact, as he picks them up, the first one really follows the one after him, and if you put them in pairs of three. Uh, you know, Gideon follows Barak. Jephthah uh, uh, follows. I forgot who it was now. Samson, uh, Samson. and then uh, uh, David, of course, follows Samuel. But he puts them in that order. Uh, some commentators have pointed out that uh, that uh, uh, this is the same pattern Samuel used in First Samuel twelve eleven. He did the same kind of thing in a listing that he made. He put. Put one ahead of the other one, even though chronologically they would be after I don't know what the insignificance of that is most of them says that they put the most significant the more significant one first, but at any rate, whether that's true or not, the first one he mentions is Gideon, and that's judges chapters six through seven. Gideon was a judge who delivered Israel the from the, uh, from the, uh, from the uh, tyranny of uh, the Midians. Uh, He uh, had massed an army of 22,000 men uh, to fight the Midianites. However, God said no. once again, God intervened with a battle plan, another battle plan that would give generals heart attacks. Uh, And he basically said, no, this is not what you're going to do. You're not going to go in there with 22,000 men and then come out and say, I won. That's that's not what's going to happen. You're going to go in with the army I'm going to give you, and you're going to say, God won. That's ultimately what the whole, the whole point of this passage was. So that they were to operate in faith based upon what God has promised here. And so what happens is, they take the 22,000 men, and the first thing they do is they give them a task. And they said, and i and I got to tell you, I think 10,000 men lied. You know, okay? I've been in the military. I think 10,000 men lied here. They said, how many of you are, are, are afraid to go to war? I think 22,000 should have raised their hand. <laughs> Only 12,000 did. Those 12,000 were sent home. They were sent home. The other 10,000 stayed. The guy said, that's still too many. You're not going to war with 10,000 men. He said, take them down to the brook and let's see how they drink water. If they lap it one way, if they cup it with their hand. And then he picked the ones he wanted and he said, these guys, these 300, this is who you go to war with. 300 against Midians. This is like throwing a rock This is kind of like David and Goliath, ultimately. He says, This is like throwing a rock at a giant. And he says, This is the battle plan that I have for you. Here are the weapons you're to use cannons, spears, chariots. No. You're to use ram's horns, empty pitchers, and torches. Those are your weapons. I don't think I'd want to go to war with that. But nevertheless, this is what you're going to war with. This is, this is how you're going to go. And here's how you're going to do the battle. You're going to divide your 300 men into three companies of 100. That's what you're going to do. You're going to divide them up. And you're going to put them on flanks around, around the Midianite army at night. And then it, you're going to blow the horns, which will startle them all awake. Somehow I think their guards weren't very good. But nevertheless, uh, it's going to startle them awake. You're going to break the pitchers and light light up the torches. And what happens? It shocked the Midianites so badly. It got them into such confusion. They battled themselves. And as as, as the Israelis kept shouting and yelling, they started to run. And ultimately, they defeated them. They ultimately defeated them and killed them. And God got the victory. Once again, 300 men going against the, the, uh, the, uh, the Midianite army was an act of faith. The battle plan was enacted by faith. And he's pointing this out. Listen, this is the whole way Israel is operated, by faith. They didn't do it on their own. They didn't do it on their works. They did it through the faith in their God. The second, the second uh, judge that he brings up is Barak. Who, uh, who is in Judges 4 through 5. Uh, he wasn't the judge. Deborah, a woman, was the judge during this time. He was called to lead the army, which he was very reluctant to do. In his case, he did have 10,000 men, and he was to face the Canaanite king, uh, Sisera. Sisera's army reportedly had 900 iron chariots. Now to give a perspective on an iron chariot in today's military, it would be a tank. That's, that's what we're talking about. This is the ancient equivalent of a tank. Just for fun, I did some looking up on, on what the uh, division strength was, a tank, an armored division's tank uh, allotment. Now, a division is big. It's made up of several battalions, usually three or more. In fact, an armored division is usually made up of three, 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 ar- three armor battalions and two cavalry battalions. And, uh, uh, <clears throat> and that, that comes to about or 425 tanks. So basically, this guy's army was the, was the equivalent of two plus U.S. tank divisions. That's what his chariot allotment was. Now, with a U.S. division of tanks of that size, it also carries a company of 20,000 infantrymen. I don't know what his infantrymen were, but if they were anywhere close, this is a 40,000-plus-man a army with 900 tanks, ultimately, that they were facing. That's a massive battle power. That's, that's, that's what this is saying. And he's going up against them with 10,000 men. In chapter 4 of uh, Judges, verse 8, it tells us that he uh, also, he was only allowed to take from two of the families of, of Israel. He was only allowed to take from Naphtali and uh, Zerubbabel, uh, uh, Zebulun, excuse me. And, uh, uh, and uh, he wouldn't go into battle unless Deborah accompanied him. And ultimately, it was a woman who killed King Sisera. Cis- so he got no credit at all for this battle. It was, but he carried it out, and it was operated on faith. Once again, this is the point. The point is God won the victory. Uh, faith, the the people of Israel exercised faith in their God, and ultimately the victory was won. The next, the next one he brings up is Samson, and Samson is probably better known for, yeah. Well, you forgot to mention that. Barack was a singer. <laughs> oh, yeah, we are in the music room. I forgot. All right, thank you. I always think it's wonderful from when people to sing. So any mention this right there, 5-1, He was a singer. Okay. <laughs> the whole chapter of five, I think, was his song. Yeah, there is. There is a there is a whole I just song. Okay, thank you. <laughs> All right, I'll buy that. It's okay. That's the reason for putting the musicians ahead of the army. yeah. Put the musicians ahead of the army. That's I really like that. That's a good plan, to, as far as I'm concerned. Samson. Samson's probably more known for his love affair with the, the, uh, with Delilah, and and his strength that he lost because of Delilah than anything else. Uh, but the text, uh, the text, uh, the text brings him to our attention, it, it, and, and here we're looking at Judges thirteen through sixteen. He was called to oppose the the uh, the Philistines, and basically his faith was shown at the end of his life in, in Judges sixteen verse thirty, uh, when uh, when he he put his having been blinded, having had his hair cut having been put into chains, uh, having been made a mockery and a uh, a toy, I suppose, of the Philistines, he trusted his God, he put his faith in God, and God gave him the strength to destroy the temple. And ultimately, what it says in in Joshua 16.30 is this, Thus Samson killed many more when he died than while he lived. In those last moments of his life, he put his faith in God, and he demonstrated that faith in in his action. Jephid is the next one in the list, and we find him. He's a judge during uh, the judges periods, and he and his his uh, record is in in Judges eleven through twelve. And basically, he's probably known more for his foolish. Uh, vow in eleven thirty nine and 40 where he said the first one that comes out the door i will sacrifice to my god and it was his daughter um that was that was uh that was once again it just points out that god's people are not perfect Uh, god doesn't ever deal with perfect people he always deals with sinful people but yet when they act in faith they can do great things and that's what ultimately what we have here is jped fought against the amorites and he punished and, and he was used to punish Ephraim in his time. And he, and he won victories. And basically uh, what the text tells us is he too was a man of faith despite his faults, despite his foolishness. Once again, that's what, what is being brought out. And then we go to David. David, we could spend the whole time on about his life. But we're going to spend a couple of minutes Uh, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 16 through 31, that's all about David. 2 Samuel contains some of David's record. 1 Kings 1 through 2 and 12 talk about, 1 through chapter 2 verse 12 talk about David as well. All of that covers the life of David. And David, from his early youth, was a person of faith. Uh, He was... He was, uh, uh, he was the great king of Israel. He was I- Israel's statesman and spiritual leader. He was the one that united the nation and made them in, brought all 12 tribes together as a nation. He was a great military leader, and he was a great king. These are the, these are the things that are attributed to David. As a boy, and this, this began very early on in his life, as a boy in 1 Samuel 17, 40, Uh, 46 we have the 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 incident with Goliath in which David uh, of course goes out and sees all of Israel standing and shaking in the face of this giant and he makes some statement about some derogatory statement about Goliath and why is Israel standing here afraid of him let's go take him and uh, his brother's kind of shut up and go away little brother you know and the king says, okay, you go do it. And puts his armor on him, which about makes him fall over because he can't hold it up. He's too small. Throws the armor off, picks up a slingshot, a few smooth stones, goes onto the battlefield and falls a mighty giant. And Israel wins the the, the victory. That's probably the first act of faith attributed to David other than his protection of the flocks and all of that kind of thing. But life, David's life goes on from there. Acts 13.22 says that he was a man after my, God speaking, God speaking, said that he was a man after my heart who will do my will. That's, that's, that's the tribute to David. But once again, what is this saying to Israel? It's saying, our greatest king was a man who operated in faith. His works were a result of his faith, not a means to it. <clears throat> and then finally we have, we have the only non-warrior. In the in the uh, in the uh, in the list, we have Samuel. Samuel uh, Samuel was not not involved in foreign battles, but as a prophet, in First Samuel one through chapters one through sixteen, uh, he fought idolatry and immorality, uh, uh, and and basically Samuel First <coughs> Samuel one First uh, Samuel. 1, uh, uh, 2 through 18 tells us that that as a boy, he uh, went before the temple in an ephed made of cloth. In other words, he was faithful from the time he was a child. That's that's the point that was being made about Samuel. This, is again, was a man of faith. One of Israel's great prophets was totally a man of faith. In verse 33 through 34, he, he goes on, to, the author goes on, and he says, he says, And he's speaking of this list, basically. He goes on and he says, and the prophets. He goes, and the other prophets. He he includes the rest of the prophets in this bunch. He doesn't delineate them in any way. But he goes on and he says, through faith, all of these, they did things like this. They conquered kingdoms. They enforced justice. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the power of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight." So he's recalling the exploits of all of these men. He talks about the kingdoms. Here we have Joshua and David are in this list. These are, these are our men who brought Israel kingdoms. They defeated kingdoms and built kingdoms. We have justice in the judges and in Samuel in particular. Uh, they brought justice when there was no justice. Uh, when he speaks of promises, we're, we're probably talking about, about the fact that in Joshua... Uh, 23 14 it says that 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 none of god's promises fail and this is all the myriad of promises god gave to israel over the years the various things starting with abraham when he when he promised him a son uh, this this kind of thing all of these promises that's what he's pointing to he talks about the mouths of lions, and we we would think of well, there's a number of places where lions are involved. Uh, David fought lions, but certainly the main one we would think of is is Daniel, who uh, who uh, was thrown into uh, the lion's den and came out unscathed. Uh, it says it quenched the power of fire. We think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were thrown into the fiery furnace, and and were protected by God by faith. All of these things happen. Uh, their testimony, uh, their testimony was was my God will protect us, and if He doesn't, He is still God. That's the short version. But anyway, it's th- th- those kind of things. And then he goes on and he says he point what the point is of whatever the need was. Faith in God is how the victory was won ultimately. That's that's the point he's made through this through this particular section of the text. And then he says, then we go into verses 35 through 38, and I, I, I named this faith uh, that faces suffering. In verse 35, he says, women receive back their dead by resurrection. That's the first thing he says. Women receive back their dead by resurrection. The list, that we're going to go through with one exception are all widows who received back only sons. In the ancient days, a widow with no sons was the most destitute of the destitute. They had no means of income, of living, of support. Uh, They were just at the will of anyone else if they would help them. And so we we have here... Some widows. Uh, Elisha in First Kings seven twenty four, uh, he re- he resurrected, he called back to life the son of a non Israeli woman who had helped him. In in Second Kings four eight through thirty seven, we have Elish, Elisha who uh, again brought back a widow's dead son. In Luke 7, 11 through 15, Jesus restores the widow's son. Jesus, of course, also restored Lazarus to his two sisters in John 11. And, and Peter, the widow at, uh, at Joppa, in Acts 9, 36 through 41. That's what he's talking about here. Uh, here were people who would have been left absolutely destitute, but in faith they trusted their God and those only sons were brought back to them. That's one side of it. Because as we, as we come into this text, there's a summary now of physical suffering uh, that the faithful endured. Many of them are moder- martyred, but by faith they conquered it all. Because the reality is within the, with, within the life of a believer in this planet, on this earth, there is going to be suffering in varying degrees. Uh, some people suffer a lot more than other people. It depends on God's will in their in their lives. Uh, in some cases, he restores it as these women in verse 35, but now we're going to go to the other side of it. That those who face ultimate uh, martyrdom as a result of as a result of the suffering that they're going to face, they face physical suffering. The first thing he he, makes, he mentions this. He says he says uh, once again in verse thirty five, some were t- tortured, refusing to accept relief so that they might might rise again to a better life. This word tortured is an interesting word. Once again, it's a musical term in our in our uh, our world because it's the world we get kettle drum from. But what it meant to the ancients was the stretching. Of, of a hide over something tightly and then beating it. Uh, it describes the torture. It describes, it's a picture of, of an individual being stretched out over probably a wheel, tied to that wheel, all stretched out, and then beaten to death. That's what this says. Uh, that's what it says. It says, there are those who were beaten to death like a kettle drum, but they died in faith, not accepting release, not looking to be released, but knowing that there was yet a better life to come. That's that's what the, that's what the text is pointing to. That's what the point is. Text the text is pointing to. Uh, they were they were stretched out and beaten to death. Verse thirty six goes on to say others were were suffered mo- uh, mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goat, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. This is a, a list of general sufferings. We can think of Jeremiah and all that he went through, so much so that he was called a weeping prophet, but he really his weeping was over Israel, not over his suffering. But he was terribly emotionally and physically uh, abused he, uh, he speaks of those that were stoned and sown in two uh, uh, sawn in two I, uh, uh, tradition says that that's what they did to Isaiah they sawed him in two uh, it speaks of it speaks of in skins in other words uh, uh, they they didn't have fine clothing they didn't have fine things they this looks to someone like John the Baptist who who walked around in animal skin? And Elijah, who had uh, uh, the coat of skins. This is; these are the; these are the things it's talking about here. Now, basically, they didn't have much. They didn't have the world's goods. Is is the idea here? Uh, they were destitute. They were afflicted. They were mistreated. That's that's what he's that's what he's talking about here. Uh, this is the 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 lot that they suffered. In Matthew chapter 23, verse uh, 37, Jesus says, O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered you, your children, together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you will not. Or you're not willing. Excuse me. I moved to a different translation, and I still remember it in the other one. But anyway, anyway anyhow, uh, But that's the idea here. God's people suffered. And no matter what the treatment, they remained faithful in order that they might obtain to a better resurrection. Now their idea of resurrection was limited, but they understood it. They understood that God God had something better for them. There was a fulfilling promise at the end. And then he makes this great statement Of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. By faith, the believer towers above the unbelieving world. God's servants are more valuable than the world's most famous in God's eyes. In this world, they may be homeless, uh, they may be wandering. But in God's eyes, they're of tremendous value. And that's what this text is saying. This text is saying, the earth was not worthy of one of these men. No matter what the world thought of them, the world wasn't worthy of them. They towered above them. That's that's the idea here. (coughs) That's the idea that he wants him to understand. And And he says, he says, you know they wandered, they wandered in the deserts and in the mountains and in dens and caves. Certainly, David hid in caves many times, and, and many of these men did that. They had to, they had to hide. And then he goes on to verses thirty-nine and forty to finish it up, and he 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 talks about he talks about that resurrection. He talks about that promise, uh, that hope, uh, that where it where it stands in verse thirty-nine. He says, and all of these. <clears throat> were commended through their faith, did not receive the promise. And in verse thirty-nine harkens back to the beginning of the, the beginning of the chapter in in verse in verses uh, verses one and two. It says, "Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen." For by it the people of old received their commendation. And here he says, "That's what's happening. This is what we're doing here. This is their commendation. They're being commended." The world was not worthy of them. That's 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 what he's saying here in verse thirty nine, and and all these though uh, uh, (coughs) commended through their faith did not receive what was promised. In other words, none of them, none of them, have experienced yet the resurrection. That hasn't happened. And he he goes on to say he 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 goes on to say he says he says look look, uh, they didn't receive what has been promised yet. Uh, faith is not immediately fulfilled. Often, uh, they look for ultimate promise. Uh, they look to the Redeemer, the Messiah. Chapter First uh, Peter, chapter one, verses ten and eleven. First Peter wrote concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours uh, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when the uh, the, uh, the predicted the suffering of the Christ and subsequent glories, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. Uh, That's what he's saying here. These people didn't know all of that. They had so much light but not all of it. They long to know even more. They long to know even more. They never saw the land. Some of them never saw the land. Many of them faced death as martyrs, but they looked to God to provide something better for us. And that something better, of course, is the new covenant, the coming of Christ. And then he goes on and he says, apart from us, Uh, apart from us, they should not be made perfect. He says, "Apart from us, they should not be made perfect." Not until the time of Christianity could the could the uh, could the salvation be made complete or perfect. Not until Christ came could that be made perfect, which which of course is the atoning work of Jesus on the cross. They based their salvation on what Christ would do you and i base our salvation on what christ did do they looked forward to the cross we look back to the cross john 20 verse 29 says "Blessed, blessed are the ones who have not seen yet have believed any comments or questions this morning other than did i miss any other singers (laughs) that was only fair since I made a whole tattoo about the trumpet players you know it's like uh, this week was looking forward to it but now we are looking forward to Jesus coming back exactly yeah uh, yeah we're looking forward too we're still we know it Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's pray. Father our God, we, uh, we come before you this morning and we are just so, so uh, amazed at uh, the people that those who have gone before us, as we're going to see uh, next week, the cloud of witnesses that surround us, these, these Old Testament saints who, who, though had not nearly the light that we have, they trusted you wholly and fully. They put their faith in you and they, they conquered kingdoms. They defeated armies. They took land. Uh, they brought justice. Uh, they did all of these things. Some of them died in the process. Many of them were tortured and suffered. But yet, Lord, they never lost their footing with you. And we would just ask, Father, that we would be found faithful, that we would be steadfast in our faithfulness toward you that we would one day stand before you and, and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And we would thank you and we would praise you in the name of our Lord Jesus, amen.